Praise the Lord. It is time to start our second service. Hallelujah. All right, we do have a few announcements. Uh, today is the deadline for Mother's Memorial Offering, so if you want to give to that, today is the day. Also, uh, this afternoon or this evening, uh, there's going to be a barbecue and a bonfire at the Demoose. If you don't have directions, they did print out some um, because there's some detours and stuff, so they've given us the best way to get to their house. That's at 4 o'clock. Um, they're just asking us to bring whatever you want to drink. They're going to provide everything else. And if you have any chairs that you want to bring for uh, sitting around that bonfire, bring them. <laughs> We're going to have a great time tonight. Next Sunday, June 5th, is only going to be one service at 10 a.m. We're going to honor our graduates. We have three uh, youth that are graduating or have already graduated uh, from high school. So come and let's celebrate with them. Yes, it's a great achievement. So we're going to celebrate with a cookout after service, and there's going to be games. So don't miss that. Let's come and let's honor our graduates. June 18th uh, is the section men's stakeout. That's going to be at 1 o'clock. Uh, so men get together, carpool, get over there and have a good time. That's going to be in Wisconsin Rapids. Also a reminder that family camp is coming up in July, July 3rd through the 8th. So make plans to attend either the whole camp or if you can get out there just for one day, you know, and drive back. It will be worth it. Hallelujah. All right. Now is the time to worship. One day every knee 
Worship our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we know that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Hallelujah, Jesus. But we come before you now to worship you, to honor you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I 
you baptized us with the Holy Ghost and with power. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, your power is greater than any earthly foe. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting. Oh. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great faithfulness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we can trust in you, that we can put our hope and our faith and our confidence in you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of all our praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering on a cross and dying in my place. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. Thank you, Jesus, for leading me from where I was to where you are. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and for your grace and for your long-suffering patience toward me. Praise God. Praise God. We have a faithful Savior. He saved me. He saved me. I had no hope. None. But now I have hope of everlasting life with Him. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. (laughs) I have to issue a quick correction. (laughs) Memorial Day is not for the living. (laughs) So still thank you for your service, but we're not celebrating you today. (laughs) I was telling Bishop, I knew that. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Anyway, tomorrow we will be celebrating those who have fallen in service to this country. Amen. We want to remember their sacrifice. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 3, is where we'll take our scripture text this morning. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. I am so thankful for the presence of God. I am so thankful that at any time, in any place, I can enter into His presence. I can make my petitions and my requests known unto Him. I can have fellowship with Him and feel His presence, hear His voice. Amen. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, starting with verse 3, says this, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I'm going to preach for just a little while on this topic. The promise no one wants. The promise no one wants. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of His service here today. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for Your presence. We are so thankful for Your manifest presence here today. Hallelujah. I pray, Lord, that You would assume control of this service from this point forward. This is Your service. We are Your people and we submit ourselves as one body unto You. Hallelujah, Jesus. We seek the will of God for this in all things. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Tomorrow will be Memorial Day. Tomorrow will be where we do remember the sacrifice of those men and women who have suffered and who have given the ultimate price in service and in defense of this country. There are those here today, maybe not here, but in our country, who will disparage that and who will seek to mock and ridicule someone who would be willing to lay down their life for anything other than their own selfish ambitions. The Bible teaches that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Now these men and women may have been drafted, they may have enlisted for a myriad of different reasons, but when it mattered, when it counted, they were on the front line and they gave their lives. Not everybody makes it home from war. Not everybody has a happy ending. Sometimes the good guy loses. Sometimes we can do everything right in our lives. And bad things just seem to keep happening. And in those times, we are tempted to wonder and to question and to doubt, where is God? I'm doing everything He told me to do. I've given everything He's asked me to give. I'm doing everything right. Why is all of this happening? And we can get to a place where we start doubting and questioning God. I found a, an account, a historical account, of something that happened over a hundred years ago now. It's a rather long account, but I feel it's, uh, I think it will be profitable for us to hear it and apply it to our message today. It starts off like this. All year the ship had been trapped, ice pushing and pinching the hull, the wood howling in protest. Finally, on October 27, 1915, a new wave of pressure rippled across the ice, lifting the ship's stern and tearing off its rudder and its keel. Freezing water began to rush in. She's going, boys, came the cry. It's time to get off. From the moment Ernest Shackleton and his crew aboard the British expedition ship HMS Endurance 
had become immobilized in Antarctica's ice ten months earlier, they had been preparing for this moment. Now those on board removed their last remaining belongings from the ship and set up camp on the ice. Twenty-five days later, what remained of the wreck convulsed once more and the Endurance disappeared beneath the ice. Endurance had left South Georgia for Antarctica on December 5, 1914, carrying 27 men, plus one stowaway who became ship's steward, 69 dogs, and a tomcat erroneously dubbed Mrs. Chippy. The goal of expedition leader Shackleton, who had twice fallen short, once agonizingly so, of reaching the South Pole, was to establish a base on Antarctica's Weddell Sea coast. From there, a small party, including himself, would set out on the first crossing of the continent, ultimately arriving at the Ross Sea south of New Zealand, where another group would be waiting for them, having laid deposits of food and fuel along the way. <clears throat> Two days after leaving South Georgia, Endurance encountered the pack ice, the barrier of thick sea ice that stands guard around the Antarctic continent. For several weeks, the ship poked and prodded its way through leads in the ice, gingerly making its way south, but on January 18th, the northerly gale pressed the pack hard against the land and pushed the flows tight against each other. Suddenly, there was no way forward, nor any way back. Endurance was beset, in the words of one of the true, Thomas Ord Lees, frozen like an almond in the middle of a chocolate bar. They had been within a day's sailing of their landing place. Now the drift of the ice was slowly pushing them farther away with each passing day. There was nothing else to do but to establish a routine and wait out the winter. Shackleton wrote Alexander Macklin, one of the ship's surgeons, did not rage at all or show outwardly the slightest sign of disappointment. He told us simply and calmly that we must winter in the pack, explained its dangers and possibilities, never lost his optimism, and prepared for winter. In private, however, he revealed greater foreboding, quietly expressing to the ship's captain, Frank Worsley, one winter's night that, quote, The ship can't live in this, Skipper. It may be a few months, and it may be only a question of weeks, or even days. But what the ice gets, the ice keeps. In the time that passed between abandoning endurance and watching the ice wallow it up completely, the crew salvaged as many provisions as they could while sacrificing anything and everything that added weight or would consume valuable resources, including books, clothing, tools, and keepsakes. Some of the younger dogs too small to pull their weight were shot, as was, to the chagrin of many, the unfortunate Mrs. Chippy. The initial plan was to march across the ice toward land, but that was abandoned after the men managed just seven and a half miles in seven days. There was no alternative, wrote Shackleton, but to camp once more on the flow and to possess our souls with what patience we could till conditions should appear more favorable for a renewal of the attempt to escape. Slowly and steadily, the ice drifted farther to the north, and on April 7, 1916, the snow-capped peaks of Clarence and Elephant Islands came into view, flooding them with hope. <clears throat> the flow had been a good friend to us, wrote Shackleton in his diary but it is reaching the end of its journey and is liable at any moment now to break up. Two days later, on April 9th, it did just that. Splitting beneath them with an almighty crack, Shackleton gave the order to break camp and launch the boats, and all at once they were finally free of the ice that had alternately bedeviled and supported them. Now they had a new foe to contend with, the open ocean. It threw freezing spray in their faces and tossed frigid water over them, 
and it batted the boats from side to side and brought brave men to the fetal position as they battled the elements and seasickness. Through it all, Captain Worsley navigated through the spray and the squalls until after six days at sea, Clarence and Elephant Islands appeared just 30 miles ahead. The men were exhausted. Worsley had by that stage not slept for 80 hours. And while some, while some were crippled by seasickness, others were racked with dysentery. Frank Wilde, Shackleton's second-in-command, wrote that, quote, at least half the party were insane, unquote. Yet they rode resolutely toward their goal, and on April 15th they clambered ashore on Elephant Island. It was the first time they had been on dry land since leaving South Georgia 497 days previous. But their ordeal was far from over. The likelihood of anybody coming across them was vanishingly small. And so after nine days of recuperation and preparation, Shackleton, Worsley, and four others set out in one of the lifeboats, the James Caird, to seek help from a whaling station on South Georgia more than 800 miles away. For 16 days they battled monstrous swells and angry winds, bailing water out of the boat and beating ice off the sails. Quote, the boat tossed interminably on the big waves under gray threatening skies, recorded Shackleton. Every surge of the sea was an enemy to be watched and circumvented. Even as they were within touching distance of their goal, the elements hurtled their worst at them. The wind simply shrieked as it tore the tops off the waves, Shackleton wrote, down into valleys up to tossing heights, straining until her seams opened, swung our little boat. The next day the wind eased off and they made it ashore. Help was almost at hand, but this too was not the end. The storms had pushed the James Carrot off course and they had landed on the other side of the island from the whaling station. And so Shackleton, Worsley, and Tom Crean set off to reach it by foot, climbing over mountains and sliding down glaciers, forging a path that no human being had ever forged before, until after 36 hours of desperate hiking, they staggered into the station at Stromness. There was no conceivable circumstance under which three strangers could possibly appear from nowhere at the whaling station, and certainly not from the direction of the mountains. They were considered impassable even in the best of times and with the best equipment. And yet here they were, their hair and beards stringy and matted, their faces blackened with soot from blubber stoves, and creased from nearly two years of stress and privation. Once the other three members of the James Caird had been retrieved, attention turned to rescuing the 22 men remaining on Elephant Island. Yet after all that had gone before, the final task in many ways proved to be the most trying and time-consuming of all. The first ship on which Sackleton set out ran dangerously low on fuel while trying to navigate the pack ice and was forced to turn back to the Falkland Islands. The government of Uruguay proffered, proffered a vessel that came within 100 miles of Elephant Island before being beaten back by the sea. Each morning on Elephant Island, Frank Wilde, whom Sackleton had left in charge, issued the call for everyone to lash up and stow their belongings. The boss may come today, he declared daily. His companions grew increasingly dispirited and doubtful. Eagerly on the lookout for the relief ship, recorded... <clears throat> oh, they became increasingly dispirited and doubtful. Eagerly on the lookout for the relief ship, recorded Macklin on August 16, 1916. Some of the party had quite given up hope of her coming. Ord Lees was clearly one of them. He writes, There is no good in deceiving ourselves any longer. But Shackleton procured a third ship, the Elko, from Chile, 
And finally, on August 30th, 1916, the saga of the Endurance and his crew came to an end. The men on the island were setting down to a, la- a lunch of boiled seal's backbone when they spied the Yelko just off the, off the coast. It had been 128 days since the James Caird had left. Within an hour of the Yelko appearing, all ashore had broken camp and left Elephant Island behind. Twenty months after setting out for the Antarctic, every one of the Endurance crew was alive and safe. Amen. So, we see here a story of exactly how you don't want an expedition to go. Everything that could have went wrong did. And a few other things that he probably couldn't have imagined. This was his third attempt to reach the South Pole. He had learned from his mistakes. He did everything correctly. He had a good plan. He properly prepared. He bought equipment. He wasn't reckless or foolhardy. He hired good, skilled people to help. He did everything right. And yet, everything seemed to conspire against him. And once he found himself in that situation, trapped like an almond in the middle of a chocolate bar, there was no way out. He couldn't just decide, well, this is a bust, guys, let's go home. Too late. There is no way home. That's gone. And they were forced into one of two choices. They could make it back, or they could die there. That was it. That's where they found themselves. Now remember, folks, this is 1914 to 1916. There's no planes flying overhead looking for survivors. There's no scuba divers. There's no satellite imaging scanning the area. No one is looking for them. No one. They're all alone. They found themselves in this position because of their choice to find the South Pole. They're here by choice. Now, they didn't choose the circumstances, but they chose to do something. They chose to accomplish something. And because of that choice, they find themselves in this present situation. As Christians, we have decided that we're going to follow Jesus no matter what. I know we've all said it. We've all promised it. Maybe sometimes in the heat of the moment. But did you really mean that? No matter what, did you mean that? The Apostle Peter made that promise at one point. I'm not going to forsake you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're going to deny me three times. Everyone else will, but not me. He made a promise. He gave Jesus His Word. And He believed it with everything in His heart. He knew it. He knew there was nothing that could happen to to make me deny you. Until that situation arose. A situation He couldn't have imagined. A situation He didn't see coming. I have no doubt that the Apostle Peter was completely blindsided by it. I have no doubt that 
He couldn't have imagined in a hundred years being in a spot where he would deny the Savior. And yet here he was, after his third denial, hearing the cock crow. We make that promise to Jesus, and I think we should make that promise to Jesus. I think we should have, at some point, settled in our hearts that we're in this for the long haul. That we're here no matter what happens. No matter who else comes or goes, I'm staying. I'm with Jesus. I think we should make that commitment. And we should mean that commitment. And here's the thing, though. We need to realize that we don't see every circumstance and situation that could arise. There are situations, potential situations in our lives that will, of a surety, cause us to doubt our commitment to God. They'll do it. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how prayed up and fasted up and read up you are. There is a circumstance or a situation out there that will cause you to question your belief in God. It will cause you to question your commitment to your Savior. Believe it. It's out there. And although we don't know the specific circumstance, we've got to acknowledge in our heart of hearts that it is out there and that it is possible for me to be in a circumstance or a situation where I will question my commitment to God. What happens shortly after we make a commitment like that? What happened to Peter? We get a chance to demonstrate that, don't we? And I think rightly so. Okay. I hear you talking. Let's see it. Is that fair? Absolutely it's fair. Jesus didn't just talk. He showed us. He showed us His commitment toward us. We make this promise, and when we make this promise to God, we don't actually expect that we're going to be called on it. We don't really believe in our heart of hearts that we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have to demonstrate that. Can't you just take me at my word, Jesus? God knows what your word is worth. He knows what my word is worth. You know what's worth something? Our actions. That's what's worth something. People can talk and talk and talk all day long. But it doesn't really matter until I see something come from you. We don't actually expect to find ourselves in a spot where we have to make good on that promise. Because Jesus is my deliverer. Jesus fights my battles for me. Jesus gives me victory in every circumstance. He does. I'm not mocking this. I've preached this before and I'll continue to preach it. He does all of those things. But He might not do that right away. He might let you sit there for an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year, ten years. Why? Because he must hate me. I must have offended God. He must 
He must not have meant these promises. No, of course not. In our Western world, we have no real idea of the concept of endurance. We have no real idea of the concept of suffering or sacrifice or what it means to give something to this cause. We get offended when the pastor doesn't shake our hand. We get offended when someone comes up to us and calls us a Bible thumper or chuckles a little bit when we tell them we went to church on Sunday. I'm not going back there. I can't deal with that. Just like there are people today that their only reason for not enlisting in the army is because they don't want to serve. Their reason is, well, I'm not willing to give my life for this. Okay, fair enough. But the commitment that is is expected of us as Christians is quite a bit more than perhaps we realize. The commitment we're expected to give is all of us. Every aspect of us. Nothing less will do. Jesus wants all of it. Or He'll have none of it. The Bible talks in Revelation about the lukewarm individual. He would rather that you were hot or cold. He'd rather that you were all in or all out. But when you're on the fence, a little bit here, a little bit there, God hates that. He'll spit you out of His mouth. It's kind of a derogatory term, by the way. Jesus is your deliverer. He does fight our battles. He does give us victory. Jesus is faithful. But, His timing is not your timing. And there are instances where He will let us sit in the middle of suffering. I don't always have the answer as to why, but He'll do it. Do we trust Him then? Is Jesus my Savior when I'm in the middle of suffering? In the middle of persecution? The church in the United States would never say it out loud when questioned directly, but I think some of us in the United States, in our heart of hearts, we believe that Jesus really won't let anything happen to us Because we're His children. He's not going to let those things touch me. He's not going to let bad things happen to me. Because I'm His child and He loves me. We are His child. He does love us. But we don't understand. We have a skewed idea of what love is sometimes. And we also have a skewed idea of what commitment means sometimes. How do I know this? Because when anything happens to us that we weren't expecting, when anything happens to us outside of the norm, when we do right and get wrong in return, when we give and it's not given back right away, 
or in the way that we're thinking it should be, we start to murmur and we start to complain and we start to doubt and we start to question. Some of us are truly shocked. We're dumbfounded. We're stunned. How can this happen? Truly, how can this happen to a Christian? How can this happen to a child of God? Well, if it can't happen to a child of God, God has some apologizing to do, doesn't He? He's got some apologizing to do to several characters we find in Scripture. He's got some serious apologizing to do to every martyr that's ever lived this, this life. He needs to apologize to people in third world countries right now who are being beheaded, who are being tortured in prison for no other reason than they profess Jesus. They chose Jesus. They chose to pursue Him. They chose to pursue a life of, of Christianity, of service to the kingdom of God. And because of that choice, they find themselves in a situation that they have no way out of right now. They're stuck. They either move forward or they, they deny Jesus and end the suffering. Because that's what we want, isn't it? Just make the pain stop. That's what everybody wants. Just make the pain stop. And I'm good. God, if you truly loved me, you'd never let me go through this. You'd deliver me from this situation. You'd heal my body. You'd take my pain away. You'd restore that relationship. I always like going back to the Bible for all of my doctrine and for my worldview and for my ideas of right and wrong. And I got to... I don't profess to know everything. I don't profess to have analyzed every Scripture in the book, but I can't find one Scripture that promises me a life of ease. <clears throat> I can't find one Scripture that, that Jesus has committed to my happiness. I don't see it. If you found it, let me know. I would love to preach that. Truly. <laughs> I don't see it. <clears throat> Let me tell you what I did find, though. Matthew thirteen twenty one. Yet hath he not root of in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, not if tribulation or persecution ariseth, when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. John 16.33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a victory in Jesus, folks, that we're simply not aware of, that we're not focusing on. The victory we want to see is a, a fat bank account. The victory we want to see is a big family and a nice house. The victory we want to see is good health. 
Success at work. Now I know Jesus loves me. But that's not the victory Jesus promised us. You might have it, and God bless you if you do. But the victory Jesus promises us is spiritual. We have victory over the enemy. We have victory over our flesh. We have victory over this world. Acts 14.22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We must. We've got to. It's the only way to the kingdom of God. The only way through, folks, is through tribulation. That's what the Bible says. Believe me, it's not me saying it. I don't like pain any more than you do. But my Bible is telling me that my only way to heaven is through tribulation. Romans 5.3 says, Not only also, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So if I read this correctly, I just need a different outlook on this. I need to look at this a little differently, a, a better perspective maybe, of tribulation, of suffering, of persecution. It works in me for my good. My good. We all want to be like Jesus but we don't always want to pay the price. I'll ask people just kind of off the cuff, man, wouldn't it be cool to to have a ministry like the Apostle Paul? Wouldn't it be cool to to just pray for people, they get the Holy Ghost and pray for people and they're healed and, and just go into an area and start a bunch of churches? Man, that'd be awesome. Being powerful like Paul. How did Paul get powerful? Yeah. Paul paid a price, didn't he? He paid a price for that power. For that relationship he had with Jesus. For his his success in ministry. He paid a price for that. He gave everything. He laid everything out. He held nothing back. He gave it all to God. And God used it mightily. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Sounds like we might have tribulation and that we are required, exhorted to be patient in it. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 2 Corinthians 1.6 And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. 2 Corinthians 7 and 4 Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful. In all our tribulation. First Thessalonians 3 and 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, 
even as it came to pass, and ye know. Second Thessalonians 1 and 4, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Second Timothy 2, 3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 3 and 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So yeah, He is faithful. He does love us. He will deliver us. He does fight our battles for us. But not until His purposes are served. I want His purposes served, not mine. If I wanted my purposes served, I wouldn't be here. If I were honest, <laughs> there's no way I'd be here if I, if I were pursuing my own plans and dreams and goals. But we're not pursuing our own. We're pursuing Jesus Christ's dreams, goals, if I can say it that way, for us. 2 Timothy 4 and 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Hebrews 6 and 15, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the same and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. James 5 and 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Revelation 1, 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why? Because he's a criminal? Because he did wrong? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yeah, folks, there are, we are going to find ourselves in these situations for one reason. Because we serve Jesus. And that's the only reason we're suffering persecution. And all you've got to do is go up and ring the bell. That's all you got to do. Just ring the bell. Deny Jesus. And we'll give you a nice warm shower. We'll put you in a nice comfy bed. You can sleep as long as you need to. Fill you with a nice hot meal. All your pain is gone. All your suffering is over. Is that worth it? It sure seems like it in the moment. But as soon as as you come to yourself, as soon as you realize what you just did. How did Peter respond? He rang the bell. What was his response? He went out and he wept bitterly. I can't imagine what that, that kind of realization does to someone. Revelation 7 and 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This isn't every verse I found, but it's, it's some of them. Folks, 
Here's the message. We need to start getting comfortable with suffering. We need to start getting comfortable with the idea that what's happening overseas is coming here. If it doesn't, I'll be the first to apologize. My bad had it wrong. Thank God. But if I'm right, we need to get comfortable with it. We need to prepare ourselves. And we need to get cozy with the idea that we might sit in that for a while. We're not any better than our brothers and sisters overseas. We're not any better than the apostles. We're certainly no better than Jesus was. They all died a martyr's death, except for John. They tried. We always want immediate relief from our sufferings. God's desire is to restore us to our original state. God's desire is to make us Christ-like. And He can't do that without breaking a few eggs. Sorry. That's just the way it's got to be. If you're serious, and I mean that, church, if you're serious about serving God with your life, if you're serious about being Christ-like, it's going to cost you everything. At least in here. At least here. He may not ask anything of you. But He might ask everything of you. Are you prepared to say yes in that day? There are new converts. And this this continually, it never ceases to amaze me. I can barely get someone down for a Bible study. It's like pulling teeth nowadays. Getting someone to commit a set amount of time to a Bible study. There are people overseas who know that if I say yes to Jesus now, my life is on the line from that point forward. And not just my life, my wife's life is on the line. My children's lives are on the line. And they say yes anyway. I can hardly fathom that. What do they have that we don't? Sometimes we act like spoiled, pampered children. We want immediate relief. I'm hungry. Feed me now. I need some money. Now. I'm sick. Heal me now. We need to start getting comfortable with the idea of emotional and even physical violence perpetrated against us. The first century church endured it. Our brothers and sisters overseas are living in it right now. Don't think that we're we're so good And we're so favored that persecution isn't coming here. We need to start getting comfortable with the idea of acting against the enemy violently. 
We need to realize, folks, that this is war. It's war. It's not, it's not a, a, a Christian game of cards. It's not a friendly game of chess. This is war. People lose their lives in war. People are maimed in war. People are emotionally traumatized in war. We need to train and we need to prepare and we need to be equipped to go out on the front lines and fight. That's what we need to be. We need to do. Luke 7, 24 and 25 says, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. I think he's trying to tell us this. We need to get a spine, folks. We need to get a little bit of a thicker skin. A little bit of callus on our hands. We need to know how to fight. I rejoice in the blessings of God. And I rejoice with you in the blessings that you've received. Continue to rejoice. Continue to be thankful. But what if, just what if, those blessings are taken away? Do we still love Jesus? Are we still willing to serve Him with our lives? One blessing that's never going to be taken away unless you decide to give it away is your salvation. That's the only thing that matters, folks. That's the only thing that, that has substance. Every other blessing that I have, I, I thank God for. I thank God for the house that He gave me, the vehicles that I drive. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. The food on my table. I thank God for all of it. But if that's taken away, I have a Savior, folks. And whatever happens down here, I'm going to spend my eternity with Him. I don't need the blessings. I need Jesus. I need His salvation every day. I don't need those blessings. I, I like them. I enjoy them. I don't need them. I need Him. Looking at our Scripture text, we live in the last days, folks. This is the ninth hour. This is it. The eleventh hour. Why do I say ninth hour? The eleventh hour, that's the phrase. If that's true, that we're in the eleventh hour, we cannot hope to escape persecution. We can't hope to escape it. Because in the last days, the church is going through persecution. I'm sorry if that offends your sensibilities. I truly am. I'm sorry if that disrupts your worldview. But you're not going to be protected from it. You'll be delivered through it. You might be protected from aspects of it. But you're going through it. If you're going to be in the church, if you're going to stay committed to Jesus Christ, you're going through it. I don't know if it's going to be man's wrath, Satan's wrath, maybe a portion of God's wrath. I don't know. What I do know is this. We're not exempt. We're going through it. We're going through it. And I need to get us ready for it. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepared for the worst. Because here's what's going to happen, folks. Persecution is going to come at some point. 
Maybe not in the next few years, but at some point, it's coming. It has to. Scripture tells us this. And those that aren't ready for it, those that are used to Jesus loves me and the blessings of God and all of this, they're going to be stunned. They're going to be blindsided. And they're going to be like, where are the promises of God? Preacher's been telling me for ten years. Blab it and grab it. Name it and claim it. I can have my best life now. Nothing wrong with having a positive outlook on life. Nothing wrong with striving and doing your best at everything that you put your hand to. Definitely do that. But Jesus loves you in the midst of persecution. Jesus is right there with you. And it's serving His purpose. And don't we want His purpose served? Not all the time. Not all the time we don't. We'll always say it. But there's sometimes I want my purpose served. I want my healing right now. I want my bank account fixed right now. I got bills. But we need His purpose served all the time. All the time. If I have to sit and wait for a promise, I'll sit and wait. I'm not doubting God. I'm waiting on God. If I have to sit there for a while, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Because I don't... I don't care what happens down here. Anything that I go through, any price I pay down here is nothing compared to what He paid for me. Nothing. At least I got someone going through it with me. He didn't have anybody. Jesus loves me enough to walk through that situation in the midst. And His purpose is being served. If I keep giving it to Jesus, if I keep submitting myself to Him, I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not saying it's going to be fun. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be painful. I'm going to question things. I'm going to doubt things from time to time. But God help me to keep my commitment to Him intact. God help me to keep my faith in Him intact. Whatever else happens, I stay committed to Him. I stay true to Him. Because I can't not Make it to heaven. I can't. Every time I think about it, every time the thought crosses my mind, I get this, my, my heart starts to hurt. I get this shock. I couldn't handle it. If I knew I'd missed it, if I knew the church was gone and I was still here, whenever that happens, I can't. Cannot, I cannot be in that spot. I've got to make it. I've got to serve Jesus. I've got to do everything I can to make it. I've got to do everything I can to, to make sure others make it. Make sure others are prepared and equipped and trained and ready so that they can go out and make sure others are properly trained and equipped and prepared and ready to meet Jesus when He comes back. And to be ready when the enemy comes at us head first. Folks, you know, five, ten years ago, these... these uh, all of this stuff that we're hearing about on the, on the front page of the paper, 
used to be conspiracy theories. Bilderberger Group. Yeah, one world government. Ah, you're a conspiracy theorist. Skull and crossbones, Illuminati, you know, all this. The, the, the idea that all of these world leaders were getting together and these powerful brokers were getting together and, and calling world events. That was laughed at. But now it's right out there in, in the open. They don't care anymore. It's right there in front of our face. And let me tell you something, folks. They are not your friend. They hate you. They hate everything that you stand for. They hate the God that you serve. And they're going to do everything in their power to crush you. To squash you. They will. They're not going to show mercy. They're not going to show compassion. They're going to do everything they can to destroy the church. To destroy your faith in God. To destroy your children's faith in God. And they don't care how they do it. Because the ends justify the means. Start getting comfortable with that. The enemy's playing for keeps. The scripture text. <clears throat> What persecution are we facing? According to the Scripture text, we're going to be facing deception. Not them. They're already deceived. God's people are going to be deceived. Why? Because they don't know the Scriptures. Because they don't know the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know it. You've got to live it. You've got to preach it and teach it. You've got to memorize it. This isn't some chapter a day keeps the devil away kind of deal. We got to get serious with our knowledge of Scripture. We've got to dedicate some time to it. If we don't have the time, then, then we need to free some up. If I may be so bold, we need to free up some time to take care of kingdom business. What, however that needs to happen. Whatever you need to do. This is our commitment. When we're in heaven, when we're on the other side of eternity, those other things we spend our time for are going to be burned. They're going to be destroyed. They're not going to matter anymore. This is going to matter for eternity. What we do for Jesus is going to matter for all of eternity. So this is where we need to prioritize our time. Our resources, our talents, our energies. This is our priority. This is who we identify with. We're going to be hit with wars, food shortages, diseases, natural disasters. We've already seen this. We're going to continue to see it. We've been touched by it. Just a touch of food shortages, supply chain issues. We'll see more. Natural disasters. Those are on the rise. We read that they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted and to be killed. The gloves are going to come off. At least we won't have to worry about them chuckling in the back corner at us anymore. 
least we won't have to worry about them making fun of us for going to church on Wednesdays. They'll throw us in prison and, and kill us. Believe me, I know what kind of message this is. But if, if things are going to happen like I think they're going to happen, like I feel when I pray that they're going to happen, church, we've got to be ready for it. We've got to be prepared for the worst. I'm going to continue to expect and pray for the best. Absolutely. And if it comes, I'll be the first to say I was wrong. But if not, if we do get the worst, we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. The entire world will openly and actively hate you simply because you profess the name of Jesus. That's the only reason they're going to hate you. Now they'll, they'll hate you anyway. Who am I kidding? But their vitriol, their energies are going to be focused on you because you love Jesus. Iniquity will abound. It will be rampant, commonplace, per pervasive. Won't be a bunch of basically good people out there anymore that just need a nudge in the right direction. They're going to be actively and openly rebellious, sinful, wicked. And they're going to call that healthy and good. They're going to call what you preach and teach evil and corrupt and vile. So what's our answer? Well, deliverance. Jesus will deliver us. Supernatural protection. Angels fighting in our behalf. We'll just be lifted up out of the trouble. Endurance. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Our way to heaven is not going to be over, under, or around. It's going to be through. It's going to be through. And if we're not expecting it, if we're not expecting the enemy to come at us like this, because he hasn't, not in the history of this country has He come at us like that. But it's coming. I believe that with all my heart. It's coming. And I want to make sure that this church, the body of Christ, knows that and is ready and properly prepared for the worst, even when we're hoping and living for and praying for the best. In that day, we've got to serve Jesus Christ. There's no stipulation, levels of difficulty. Well, I'll serve Jesus as long as it pain only gets up to about a three. After that, I'm out. Jesus understands. Jesus understands I can't take pain. Jesus understands I'm I get depressed easy. 
Jesus understands He gave you everything you need to make it through. Here's the good news of all this. You're not going to make it on your strength. You're not going to make it on your endurance. That's why I've been emphasizing Jesus is walking through this in the midst of it with us. We're leaning on Him. We're relying on Him. He's our strength. He's our peace. He's our comfort. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of desolation and destruction, in the midst of torment, He's our peace. I've read accounts of people being burned at the stake and they're singing hymns the whole way through. No indication of pain. No indication of suffering. Others do. It's not a promise. But my point is this. Jesus is our peace. And you'll never find Him closer, folks. You'll never find Him sweeter. More powerful in your life than in the middle of trouble and persecution. His purpose is going to be served. That's how it's going to be served. Amen. Let's all stand. Like those that have went on before, those that have laid down everything, including their very lives, not just for a nation, but for the kingdom of God. There are people who were killed for no other reason than they served Jesus Christ. That's not fair, that's wrong. Yep, absolutely. Still happened. And it's going to happen. They overcame him. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is faithful. He is victorious. Even in the midst of the most unimaginable tragedy, He is faithful and victorious. And He gives His peace and His comfort to us. Miraculous peace in the midst of impossible situations. if we come to the front just for a moment now this afternoon let's take some time to talk with Jesus let him speak with us let's commit maybe renew our commitment to him but when we when we commit to him do it with two open eyes
remember when I was turning 18, full of spit and fire and ready to get out into the big wide world and make my mark, I was going to conquer it. I was going to take it by force. My dad didn't ask me, but if he would have, I mean, I had no plan. I, I had nothing. So I went into the army. I had to do something. I didn't want to stay home. No way I was going to stay home. <coughs> nope. Graduated on Friday. On Monday I was on a bus. <laughs> yeah. But I had no idea what was out there. I had all these big plans. I had all these things that were going to, I was going to do and be and if someone would have asked me, well, what's your plan? How are you going to do that? And I just going to make a bunch of money and, and uh, buy some stuff, and there I am. Yeah. Sounds like a well-thought-out plan, doesn't it? <clears throat> I think sometimes Christians do the same thing. They say yes to Jesus. Please say yes to Jesus. But just understand what yes means. There's still bad times that are coming. There's still hard times that come to Christians. Even though we're a child of God, even though we serve Jesus with our lives, even though we're submitted to the Word of God, we still have bad things that happen. Those don't go away. Sometimes the bad things are there for that one reason and one reason only. Because I serve Jesus. So when we commit to God... I want to make absolutely sure that uh, I'm not selling anyone a bill of goods here. Jesus never sold anyone a bill of goods. He laid everything out plain. I'm going to do the same. The benefits are absolutely phenomenal. The benefits far outweigh any cost that would ever be associated with this. But there will be a cost. can avoid the cost, tell Jesus no, but there's a cost to that too, that I will spend for all eternity. I will pay that forever and ever and ever. The cost associated with serving Jesus is temporal. Everything that I need to pay, I pay right here and now. It's easy, and it's light. But for a moment. <clears throat> and then I spend forever in bliss. No more pain, no more sorrow. Everything's perfect. But there will be a cost here. So let's pray. Let's ask Jesus as much as possible if He'll lay it out for you. Let Him be frank with you. Let Him be direct with you. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. Let Him work work in you, in your life, those things that He desires. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God.
I am so thankful for your so great faithfulness. I am so thankful for your long-suffering patience to usward. I know, Lord Jesus, I know that at times I must seem like a spoiled brat to you. I know that for a fact. I'm sorry. I don't want to sound like that. I don't want to be like that. I do trust you. My hope and my faith and my confidence is in you. And if I have to wait a while for a promise or for an answer, then Lord Jesus, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on you and I'm going to keep trusting in you because I know that you hear my cries and I know that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother and I know that you're never going to leave me or forsake me and you're never going to break covenant with me. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are altogether faithful. I trust in that. I trust in it. I trust in you. I trust in the Word of God. I don't care what circumstances dictate. I don't care what my feelings are telling me in the moment. I don't care what I see or feel. I'm standing on the promises contained in your Word. My faith and my hope and my confidence is in you. In you only. Hallelujah, Jesus. I do continue to pray for the best, Lord, that you would send revival to this country that you would save this great nation, that your judgment would be averted. But if it is that time, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hold on to you no matter what, that we would be comfortable, that we would experience peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory, in the midst of physical or emotional trauma or torment. Hallelujah, Jesus. It may never come to us. It may never touch us. In Jesus' name. But if it does, we will stay faithful. We will stay committed. We will stay in covenant. Hallelujah, Jesus. Speak with your people this morning, I pray. Speak with them, Lord, concerning these things. Help us, Lord, that we would be ready in that day. Help us to study to show ourselves approved. Help us to hide the Word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against Thee, that we would not be deceived when the deceiver comes. Help us to draw nigh unto You and to become more like You each and every day. Help us to commit ourselves to serving You with our lives. Hallelujah, Jesus. To, in our hearts and in our minds, give everything to You. They're Yours anyway. Hallelujah, Jesus. I do pray that You would bind us together as one. I pray, Lord Jesus, the spirit of oneness upon this congregation, that Your Spirit would flow easily and freely through this body, that it would accomplish Your perfect will in this city and in this county in the lives of those whose hearts are, are made perfect, in the lives of those who would be heirs of salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus.
We serve an awesome God. I really expected a lot more.